All right, welcome to America This Week. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Walter Kern. Walter, what's going on? It's snowing outside. It's a Montana blizzard. Um, I'm cozy here uh, in the embrace of the alt media. Um, and uh, <laughs> You're in the loving embrace. <laughs> the, loving, <laughs> the loving arms of the alt media. <laughs> <laughs> the only place I feel safe right now. That reminds me of that line from The Insider when Christopher Plummer playing Mike Wallace uh, talked about how he didn't want to be wandering the wilds of national public radio. Uh, <laughs> but in the, cold, anyway. in the cold winds of the mainstream media. No, I'm, right. here, I'm tucked away in our little slightly invisible niche of alt media. where Exactly. Exactly. We say controversial things, but can be assured that very few people hear them. <laughs> um, so busy week. Uh, I mean, I guess we should. We, last week, much of the show was about. Uh, we 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 did the show early in advance of Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin. Um, what did you think of the interview, by the way? Well, uh, so did. Uh, at the time we talked about it, I had seen it two thirds of it and then read to the end of it. And I don't mm -hmm. know that you had seen it yet. So I'd seen a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're kind of taking my word for it, but here are my top three takeaways. Number one, it was not a Russian propaganda coup. Um, it was a coup for meme makers you know, the meme being a simple question is asked of Putin and he responds with a, thousand-year saga of Russian history, um, you know. Uh, the Earth was a primordial soup. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the firmament was divided from the uh, uh, ocean. Um, and I thought, by the way, that that was just kind of an assertion of Russian cultural uh, dominance over narrative, saying, you know, uh, you guys think you're storytellers in in the West, but let it, let me tell you what a real story is. And the guy who's mm -hmm. Homeric on Tucker, you know, soundbite man gets homered um, by, by Putin. For that reason, I don't think Putin was able to uh, seduce, was able to seduce or hypnotize a Western audience. I also felt that his antagonism toward Carlson was evident and in retrospect, maybe even stronger than I perceived at the moment, because I was listening for information the first time I went through it. But when I went back and did my body language scan and so on, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there was no love lost. In fact, I kind of saw the, you know, former communist and Putin coming out and going like, who is this rich person from America? You know, um, I'm going to... Uh, I, 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 I'm going to crush them in some fashion. Uh, it was almost more important that he didn't let Tucker run his modern media game than he won the hearts and minds. Uh, Putin was Putin was odd. I, I you know he would have known what red meat for those sort of Putin questioning, Putin curious people were in the West, and he didn't give them much. Yeah, um, I mean he's look he's he's a he's a scary person. When, when like I think of the the average Russian, 
if they get a chance to interview Putin, they're thinking ahead to the moment when he's displeased with the results and you're in the well in Silence of the Lambs and he's up at the top saying, it puts the lotion on its skin, you know what I mean? Like, he's, he's, he's a scary character and he's probably not used to having to deal with conventions of um, Western media and, you know, uh, do anything but be, but be whatever his whimsical self is. But I don't think it was effective. I mean, he was, he, he was trying to propagate propagandize. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. Yes, he was, but he wasn't trying to propagandize us in a sort of sugary poppy way. It, it was through a kind of, uh, storytelling and reasoning and, and argumentation that the West is largely immune to because of our short attention span. Right. Um, but, but also, you remember how when people used to go uh, interview Castro and he would like spend six hours, you know, overwhelming them in some interview, smoking his cigar? There seems to be for, for authoritarian leaders uh, a, a, a real attraction to the monologue and, and maybe no ability to check themselves because no one in real life checks them. I mean, Putin probably, can you imagine the people who ooh and ah over every story he tells? Um, right, right. So, so it's been a long time since he's been interrupted, I'd say. Um, yeah, it's true. And, and, you know, we can't forget that these sort of ex-communist leaders, they were raised on the worst television in the history of television. I mean, you, you know, stuff like conversations with Paustovsky, right? Which is, it's just hours and hours and hours of like a, a an elderly person mumbling into bad audio uh, and, you know, not saying anything that could possibly offend anybody in any direction. Uh, so they're used to this sort of rambling thing that that, that was a convention. I guess of his youth, um, but you know he he I, I've seen him be good at the other thing, so that that it's it's mystifying uh, what happened. But uh, for, we certainly heard afterwards that there was this pleasure in the Russian uh, world about the outcome of that interview. Yes, that they had not optimized propaganda opportunity, um, but even in the case of sort of little revelations like who did Nord Stream, mm. and, and, and Putin said very succinctly for once, you did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, and, yeah, we talked then, about it. That was really funny. And then Tucker makes a joke saying that he had an alibi, which I found an odd joke, not one I would have made. I, I, I would have said, who do you mean by you? Uh, what, right. enti- what entity? And so on. Uh, but in, in any case, not to second guess the whole thing, I felt that if Putin had sort of bombs to drop, he was probably signaling all the intelligence services and State Department and so on who were watching this interview that he wasn't doing it yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, a, in, yeah. other wor- in other words, it was the spectacle of a guy who probably had a lot of ammo he wasn't using, showing off the fact that he wasn't using it. Right. Well, this is the difference between somebody who who has to um, secure widespread popular support and someone whose real audience is always, you know, officials in 
uh, intelligence agencies and other bureaucracies. Putin definitely thinks like that. I mean, he's he's never really had to campaign. Uh, he was essentially handed the presidency of Russia, and you know, the only competitive election that he ever held. Uh, the competitiveness of that is is always dubious. So, um, yeah, who, who knows? But it was it's interesting. Uh, you, you, I think you predicted that it would complicate the passage of uh, the Russia aid package, which it may, it may very well have. Um, you know, as of this broadcast, it's it's not through, is it? Uh, I don't believe. Well, I mean, it's dead dead on arrival in the House, supposedly. House will not take this up. Um, it was passed in a sort of midnight way through the Senate. Um, certain American senators made a pretty big deal of opposing it. Mike Lee, J.D. Vance. Um, and uh, now, yesterday, as of yesterday, we get this sudden scare uh, headline oh my God, that was about hilarious. Russian space capability. Um, well, it, it didn't didn't start that way, though. I mean, the, the progression of that story was amazing. It just started off as there is a threat. Then right, and my and my UFO friends all sat up and went, "Oh my gosh, it's gonna they're gonna talk awesome. about aliens!" Yay, finally. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but it didn't turn out that way. And then you know, then it, then it was somebody said it was about hypersonic missiles, and then somebody said it was about. Uh, you know, nuclear uh, R- Russian nuclear capability, or you know, r- perhaps the use of weapons to attack our space defenses. And then it came out that it was allegedly about some nuclear capability that has not even been, been deployed yet. Um, the whole it thing was ridiculous. Have to do with space? I, I don't even know. I mean, I didn't even get that far. The, the, this this idea that um, you know this is this goes back to the Bush administration days when they had that threat indicator uh that the dhs used to put out like here's how scared you're supposed to be today of the terrorist threat and they didn't wouldn't even specify it and people would you know uh they would have psychotic episodes or not based on how high or low the bar graph was um the idea that people take this stuff seriously is just unbelievable to me that, you know, we can release these highly nonspecific uh, things that we have no, that the public has no ability to do anything about, um, about which the public has no ability to do anything. Uh, I don't know, whatever. Um, and put it out there for what reason? Like why are why are why are we being told this? The only possible reason that they did that was was to try to you know desperately nudge a little bit more this you know aid package, I, right? Isn't that the only conceivable explanation for that thing? Yeah, <laughs> to me, um, I mean, especially since it's not an imminent threat. Now we find out it's something they could have sounded their fake alarm about at any time um and it just happened to be now so uh i'd say you know we can infer that motive but i just want to know generally as i sit here in midwinter montana in our cozy niche of the alt media why we went from you know 
uh, the 1950s wants its foreign policy back or whatever, uh, you know, the rejoinder to Mitt Romney, to Russia all the time. I mean, mm -hmm. since 2016 to now, to this moment, I've had more intense Russophobic content in my world than I did as a kid between 1976 and 1984, in which I was allowed to forget about it for a few days every once in a while. Right, when, when they were an active nuclear adversary that, um, that was a real threat to counterlaunch if something bad happened, and, some, and bad things did happen. We had a couple of very near misses uh, where we were almost in nuclear war uh, with the Russians, and yet we weren't, you know, asked to take it, this the threat nearly as seriously as we are now. So what happened between 2012 and now? Um, you know, I mean, that gets into the activities of this week. You know, what I, what I spent a lot of time on uh, this week, obviously, you know, people who watch this channel, uh, who follow Racket know that, um, on public and now today, uh, on as of Thursday on Racket, there was a series of exposés about, uh, basically about Russiagate, but there were, there were two main uh, revelations. One is that there was a surveillance campaign that included uh, at least 26 Trump aides and associates. It was directed by the CIA. It started before the FBI investigation. And the other one is that they cook the intelligence for um, the intelligence community assessment that said that Russia had done an influence campaign to uh, specifically to help Trump, which is like the last surviving myth from that era. But the, the interesting thing about this, and, and as people have pointed out, everybody from Maria Bartiromo to Dan Bongino, Bongino to uh, Aaron Mate to Chuck Ross to a million other people have covered this stuff. Because this has been floating out there since 2018, um, but I think one of the interesting things is is that Russia was kind of an incidental uh, part of the campaign against Russia against Donald Trump. I mean, if you look at the early Steele dossier reports and what we were told, they didn't have a direction to go in as late as the spring of 2016 and they kind of coalesced around this Russia theme that summer but not before then uh because they didn't they didn't have a real predication uh to be worried about Russia in conjunction with Trump so this so this whole thing this whole Russia thing it's not like it's fictional because obviously there's been tension dating back a long way including the Maidan revolution and all that um but in this specific circumstance, I think it's just sort of uh, an accidental consequence of this weird uh, PR campaign. But there are a couple of aspects to it that I'd like to question you about. As, as a consumer of Racket and Public, uh, I'd like to ask you a few questions about it. One... Sure. The thing you talk, how early did it really start? What's the earliest you can trace it to? The, 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 the surveillance of the Trump world. So we know for sure that there were people who were quote unquote bumped or uh, 
approached by informants in March of 2016. Uh, but we've had people tell us that uh, it was as early as December of 2015. I mean, there's some stuff in the public record. A lot of the stuff is in the public record. Uh, it's just that people haven't looked at it because, right. you know, they haven't, it hasn't been stressed. But for instance, in the infamous text between counterintelligence chief Peter Strzok and uh, his lover slash FBI lawyer Lisa Page, um, there's a reference to what they call Okunis lores, uh, which, you know, this is overseas. Um, it's an outside, of the con- outside of the continental U.S. or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the, the, that refers to 2015. We've been told that that's the case. And, th- and then also, you know, there, there was a series of public stories involving like the New Yorker and the Guardian, which quoted the GCHQ, the you know, Britain's version of the, M- of the NSA, saying um, that all this, the genesis of all this was late 2015 when, they, when the British picked up stuff. So right. I, you know, looking in retrospect, it, it reads like they were pre-bunking these revelations a little bit, like they were setting the stage for, um, but we can, you know, certainly it was before the FBI can't, the thing started. And it was before Donald Trump's nomination, mm-hmm. which, which suggest, so, so were they all betting on the Donald Trump horse? Had they set up this international uh, uh, intelligence effort to surveil Donald Trump in the hope, in the fear? that he would be nominated or was it only him that was being surveilled? Were there similar efforts with other possible Republican nominees? Well, I think that's, unfortunately, this is one of the remaining holes in the story is we just, we just don't have a good grip on the why of this. Um, Why did they start doing? Because, Hmm? because, because the, the, the legend is that Trump is so unique, so particular and peculiar in his possible relations to the Russians, that he required extraordinary measures. But if they were doing it to other people too, and we just haven't heard about it because they didn't need to use those files, then that blows all to hell the notion that it was just Trump. If they had another program for Ted Cruz, say, Right. And, and, and so what we were told was that you know, the, the question was asked, was this done for some national security objective? The answer was a definitive no. They were just trying to take advantage of a rookie, inexperienced political campaign. They, they specifically picked people like George Papadopoulos and Carter Page, who they thought wouldn't see this kind of thing coming. Um, but the specific why, uh, you know, so far we we don't, we got a peek at what's in this missing intelligence, um, but we didn't get the whole glimpse, which you know is forcing us to speculate about what happened. Uh, the the question has been asked: Why focus on Donald Trump? He he didn't even win Iowa, right? Um, you know, why why would they focus on him so early? One answer to that is, well, that's what they said about Watergate. I mean, why why would uh, Nixon do it? Remember, the, that was even a line in 
in uh, All the President's Men, where Ben Bradley Jr. says to, to Woodward and Bernstein, he's like, yeah, why would Nixon do it? I don't believe the story, right? Um, because he was, uh, he was ahead by so much. I think, you know, I mean, if I had to guess, which I hate doing, but my, my suspicion is that they just overuse these tools a lot. And, yeah. and we're finding out about this particular incident because Donald Trump happened to become president. But I think when, we, when there's digging into this, and unfortunately, uh, the, the hearing to dig further into this 702-5 FISA program for collecting foreign intelligence there was supposed to be one this week, and they abruptly canceled it. Um, the Republicans canceled it. The Republicans canceled it. Uh, you know, I think we're going to find out that that uh, this is just something that is overused a lot, and maybe in this particular case, uh, you know, there there, there was um, a little bit of extra curiosity about Trump because he was running for president, because he was so disliked, because they thought they, they, thought they could get away with it. Um, but I don't see, know. It's an interesting question. Okay, so I have gypsy heritage. I don't know that I've ever mentioned that on this show. I think and, you did once. This is cool, yeah. Yeah, but not to add to stereotypical prejudices against gypsies, but they do have a rich tradition of, Fooling people. It's one of their, you know, it's one of their industries. And the, the making of what appear to be predictions is an interesting thing. Uh, one of the ways you can do it is to make predictions about a lot of things and then suppress the ones that didn't come true while mm. highlighting the ones that did. So you can appear to have, you know, covered only Donald Trump when you release your dossier on him. But the four other dossiers that you would have every reason to compile if it was a political mm. operation, which it was. I mean, if anything, what your reporting has revealed is that this was a political operation. For sure. For sure. And so why would they confine themselves to only one person who might, if they were, who if they, if they put all their eggs in that basket, and Trump blew up, they have no, they have no uh, info or no uh, strategy against other people. Mm -hmm. that, that, yeah, doesn't, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Number two, you're talking about when it started and when it got going. Well, the thing that happened in 2016 that we all remember and that still hasn't been addressed by this is the WikiLeaks business. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean... That was used in the public, on the news, on MSNBC, you know, later to be the home of John Brennan, right, for, for his, you know, second career as a, <laughs> and Clapper, right? I mean, dude, let's, we'll, let's hold off looking at what this implies for the big picture of American politics and media, um, uh, but... When WikiLeaks happened, it was the prima facie evidence of collusion. The somehow the idea that the Russians on Donald Trump's behalf in some fashion had hacked the DNC and Podesta and so on and released all these emails in order, you know, 
that was that was the dirty trick that America that was used to convince America that all this happened. And later it got into the weeds. Oh, there were Facebook ads and this other stuff. But but we still don't have an answer on the WikiLeaks, the origins of that WikiLeaks. No, they never proved it, which is one of the reasons why, you know, remember the Democratic Party sued Trump, Russia, and WikiLeaks for a conspiracy. Uh, And the suit was tossed, not only because they didn't prove any of the individual elements or connections, um, but also on the basis that the WikiLeaks leaks were protected speech in the public interest. but they never ever established the connection um, between WikiLeaks and Russia and Russia and the Trump campaign. In fact, in, in one of the like amazing episodes that um, you know, s- still to this day baffles me, Aaron Mate pointed this out. The indictment of Roger Stone disproved the entire theory of Russiagate because it talks about how after the initial WikiLeaks releases about the DNC hacks that he was dispatched by Trump officials to go talk to WikiLeaks to try to find out more about what was coming next. Right, right. So if they were all conspiring, why did they need to have Roger Stone, who didn't know any of these people, uh, go and make an unsuccessful attempt uh, to talk to WikiLeaks on social media. By the way, all of us reporters were, ta- were trying to get the same information out of WikiLeaks. I was certainly doing it. Um, but it, there's so much contradictory information about this whole thing. Uh, and no, you're right. They never clarified the WikiLeaks uh, role. And, you know, there's certainly some outstanding mysteries involved in that episode. So my, my takeaway from the reporting so far well, let me let me hold fire on that for a moment. One 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 phrase that you have uh you know centered your reporting and on is manufactured intelligence. Mm-hmm. Now, it's another one of those Orwellian terms because it's not intelligence. Intelligence is something that's true, right? I right. mean manufactured intelligence is actually not intelligence. It's the opposite of it. It's deception. It's it's right. disinformation. Um, you know, we've lived in a world now for a few years now where you and I and people like us get accused of tolerating or even spreading disinformation. But the Russia Gate story is the preeminent example of disinformation in our time. You know, after maybe the Iraq. Weapons yeah, of mass I was, was going to say, it has a lot in common with that story, which we can get into. But yeah, absolutely. It's, even, so, it's, wor- it's worse than that because they're, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the manufacturing of intelligence, which isn't actually intelligence, the manufacturing of disinformation, happens how? How did it happen in this case? I mean, uh, there are certain techniques that are common. What are they? Okay, well... I guess I should just back up and do like a three-minute thing on what the story is. Right. Uh, in obviously, all the Russia get stuff happened. There was 
incredible furor uh, as Trump was getting elected. Michael Flynn got dismissed. James Comey stood up in Congress and announced that there was an investigation into Trump and his possible links to Russia. Um, and then in response to that, the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, the House Intelligence Committee, which at the time was chaired by a Republican California Congressman Devin Nunes, started an investigation into uh, the origins of Trump Russia. And so they, uh, they had two teams, one that was kind of based on the Hill, and then there was a smaller unit that worked at Langley. Uh, their ingress and egress was controlled. They were monitoring the way in and the way out. They couldn't take anything out. Um, so only a portion of what this team uncovered, they had access to all kinds of raw intelligence. Only a portion of it ever got out, and that was through mainly through the Noons memo. They also helped uncover the fact that the Clinton campaign paid for the Steele dossier. But this is this is where people who follow this story obsessively have always known that this there's stuff from there that is going to come out at some point. So this is that stuff coming out. This is what people, you know, all these conservative commentators have been wondering about for years. So what did they find out? Um, one of the things they found out was uh, that the manufacture of what, what was called the Intelligence Community Assessment, which was a big report that was published on January 6th, 2017. Do you remember that? This, this was the, this was right the after- other you know, January 6th. <laughs> the other January 6th, it's amazing coincidence, right? And this was the one- um, it was like a 30-ish page report, uh, and it, it said, we assess basically that Putin ordered an influence campaign uh, to denigrate Hillary Clinton and, and help President-elect uh, Trump's electoral chances. And there was an annex to that report that included Steele dossier stuff. The four intelligence chiefs, Comey, John Brennan from the 